but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Father God, I am grateful that you have filled the seats of this building to hear your word. May your people, like we just sang, let the amen sound from your people. May the response to your word this morning be great. That is something that I cannot do, Lord Jesus. It has to be your spirit. So I pray, I beg of you to send your spirit to fill us and empower us, whether we're listening in this room or in the overflow, Lord, that your spirit would move in a mighty way and that Jesus would be exalted in this place. Please do that this morning for your name's sake, Lord. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. And just so you guys know, in the video venue, when this sermon's over, we're going to ask you guys to come in here to sing with us if you want, because it's louder in here and it's more fun. All right, saying. So you're welcome to come. New Year's here, time to pack up the decorations, right? I hope you have your tree down. If you don't, you need to get it down today, all right? Okay, just so you, so you know. Um, school's coming back, yay, kids going away, yay. Um, time for new gym memberships. How many of you joined a gym? Just be honest, any hands? Okay, we've got some gym members, good. Let's see how long it lasts, Bill. Okay, well, Tom, we'll see, see how long that thing lasts. How about new diets? Anyone new diet? There we go, one honest person, right? Anybody be, a, you're now a vegetarian in the new year? Okay, good, I was going to preach, ask 10 again. Okay, kill and eat. Um, new year, you know what's great about the new year is it's new. Kind of, that's kind of part of the point, right? It's, it's a new year. When I, I grew up again in the 80s and we had this thing called Atari. I know some of you young folks are like, what is Atari? Atari rocked, all right, let me just tell you. And the great thing about Atari was it had this, this reset button. All right, so if your buddy was playing and he was kicking your tail and you want to make him real mad, you just go, oops, and you hit the reset button, everything starts over. If you had a bad game, you just go, boop, hit the button, it starts over. That, that's that's kind of where we're at now. It's, it's the reset. It's the new year. And you're like, well, I had a good last year. Good, it's something to build on because... For some of us, it wasn't a great year, and we're looking forward to new hopes and new dreams and new expectations and all these things. It's new. It's a reset. And we come to a great text of Scripture today for a reset in Acts chapter 13. Because what's going to happen is the early church, something big is about to happen, something new that is going to change the world. I mean, you are here because of what happens in this text. It's huge. God moves in a radical way, in a new way. And look, for me and for us as a church, I want 2015, a lot of new things going on, new building, new, new, new expectations. I want it to be a great year for us. 
I mean, I want some of you high school kids, some of you middle school kids, some of you college folks, I want you to own your faith in a real way this year, legitimately. I want some of you who are going into consumer debt to finally get out of it. For some of your marriages that there's big struggles, for there to be a, a healthiness to it, to be some healing. For that nagging sin that's constantly there, for you finally to see some victory over that. For some of you folks who are single and, you, and sometimes you feel like a second-class citizen, to realize that this is a gift that God has given you, your singleness, and to use it for his glory at this point in your life. For some of you dads to start acting like leaders. For some of you moms to, to find great encouragement in the role of, of being a mom and a shepherd of those kids. For some of you to finally use your business and your, and your office and your work as a place not to just make a buck, but to, to make Jesus famous at that place, right? For, for finally that person you've been praying for for years to come to faith. For some of you graduates, we got a bunch of college grads, to take the things that you've learned over the last two, three, four years and to go live in, in Texas or, or Massachusetts or New York City and, and live out the gospel. We want great things to happen for God to move this year. And, and the interesting thing about this text we're going to look at is God does an amazing work, and these folks really weren't, they weren't looking for it. It wasn't like they had this big scheme and this 10-year plan, and we're going to do this, and great things are going to happen, and this is the way it's going to happen, and all these things. It happens because they're doing just one thing. They're doing one thing, and God moves in a mighty way. And as we hit the reset, and this is our first Sunday together in the new year, it's time for us to hit the reset and this to be the thing, if nothing else, that we begin doing. So we're going to look at what that is and talk about it a little bit as we look at Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. And here's the thing. I usually, I'll tell you what we're doing next week. We're only doing three verses today. That's very rare for me. I usually cover more, and especially in narrative. Next week, two chapters, all right? So read ahead. I'm going to do the whole missionary journey next week, and I will not be staying in one verse long. So Read chapter 13 and 14 two or three times this week so you're ready. And if next week you're like, Billy, you're going too fast. I couldn't understand it. That's because you didn't do your homework. All right? So read ahead. You're allowed. I promise. God is happy with you if you cheat and get ahead. All right? So read ahead for next week, chapter 13 and 14. This week, verses 1 through 3. And if you're new, visiting, you just forget because it's been so long. Here's where we've been. Jesus was executed and rose again. And he told his disciples, you are going to be my witnesses on this earth, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But the only reason you're going to be able to do it is because I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, they become his witnesses, and they proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection, that through faith in him and repentance of sins, you can have eternal life, and the message is spreading like wildfire, and no one can stop it. They try to, enemy tries to stop it, he tries to divide the church from within, can't stop it. Try to kill the apostles and throw them in jail, they keep busting out of jail, and even though they kill them, they keep spreading it. So much so that the biggest opposer of Christianity, a man named Saul of Tarsus, becomes a follower of Jesus and now a proclaimer of him and the great apostle. And where the first 12 chapters kind of focused around the apostles in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the second half of the book we're going to look at in the next couple of months is, is what happens out of Antioch and the apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. But remember, God is not done. Acts chapter 40 42 is being written right now, and you're in the middle of it. This is our time to be part of God's story about what he's doing, and that's why we're in this book. 
And it starts with what they do right here. Let me read our text and then we'll jump in. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, or a lifelong friend, depending on your translation, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. It's a very simple, straightforward text. No flash, no glam. There are some dudes, they're teaching. The Holy Spirit speaks. What that looks like, it doesn't tell us. Maybe it was one of the prophets. Maybe it was an audible voice. Maybe it was a vision. Who knows? But they say, he, God says, I want Paul and Barnabas to, to move off of this team and to go over here. I've got something different for them. They say, okay. They pray for them. They fast. They put their hands on them. They say, get on a boat. And they go off and they start what happens to change the course of history taking the gospel to the ends of the earth for the first time. But where does it all begin? Again, this is just a plain, simple little text. There's no flash. There's no fanfare. This is just a group of people just like us gathering. They didn't bring in Billy Graham. They didn't bring in Piper. They didn't do some big missions conference. There was no 10-year plan. And what are we going to do in church business meeting? And who wants to vote and all these things? What are they doing? They were worshiping while they were worshiping. And in the tense of the Greek word there, it's continual. This is a constant thing. Just in the context of their continual worship, God shows up and he moves. And as we reset this year, you want to see God do things? You want to see God move in your life? Right? You want to see change internally, externally? Where does it start for us as a church? It starts with worship. It starts with worship. Look, and this shouldn't be a surprise to us because we created in God's image. You are created with the DNA to be a worshiper, to be a rejoicer, to be a celebrator. That's what you're made to be. And what we do is we identify those things of worth, that's worship, and we, we sacrifice to that thing and for that thing. So whatever is of value to me, I'll sacrifice for it, I'll sacrifice to it. So today, 100,000 crazy fans will, will dress themselves in overpriced shirts, paint their face up, and in wickedness go root for the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> right? That's what they'll do. They, they will pay for high-priced tickets. They'll sacrifice time, money, their voice, and hopefully they will go home miserable losers, <laughs> right? And I'm not a Lions fan, but I'm an anti-Cowboys fan, <laughs> all right? Or it could be the almighty buck, or it could be success. If, if that's my God and I elevate that, I'm going to sacrifice my time, maybe my family, maybe even my health because I'm working 85 hours a week and not sleeping so that I can have that. It's an issue of worship. Our problem is that we rejoice and celebrate because of sin in creation rather than the creator. That's our problem. Because there's nothing wrong with sports. There is something wrong with being a Cowboys fan, but most sports are fine. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with money, relationships, all these things. There's something wrong when we rejoice more in that than in our God. That's the problem. 
And so what needs to happen in 2015 as we hit the reset is we need to check our hearts and see what is it we're worshiping. Are we worshiping our God? Are we celebrating our God? Are we rejoicing in our God? And what does that look like then if we're going to do that? I got seven reflections, seven observations just from this text about what their worship looked like, and hopefully something will hit somewhere. And we're going to fly through them. You can write them down. They'll be on the screen. Let's work through them. Here's the first observation about their worship. It was corporate. There was a togetherness, right? It it says there's all these guys, and while they were worshiping, plural, and fasting, and at the end it says they laid their hands, this is a group deal. It's corporate. And we have a lot of talk in our culture about, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's fine. But just so you know, that phrase is not in the Bible. Do you know that? Neither is sinner's prayer, by the way. There's a lot of phrases we use. Nothing wrong with the idea of, I have, it is a personal relationship, but you're not the only one. You realize that? Right? It's not just you and Jesus. It is personal, but it is not private. Private faith is an oxymoron. It's like Atlanta Falcons football. All right? Oh, sorry. I'm getting to y'all today, right? (laughs) The idea is in the scripture that God has been redeeming what? A people. In you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Let me just give you a couple things Apostle Paul says in Peter. He says, God gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, not a person. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for the church. It's a people. The gospel doesn't just create people individually. It's a people collectively who worship together. And I'm not downplaying private worship. Quiet times are great. Our daily bread, my utmost for his highest, whatever. But those just fuel the public. In the, it, where was it that Paul was called to do this great thing and take the gospel to the nations? Was it in his quiet time as he's reading whatever he has? Nope. It's in the corporate worship setting. While they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit speaks. And here's the thing for us in 2015. This gathering matters. It matters. It is important. You're like, I can't get a seat. Then come to 815. Only for four more months and we'll have a new building. But it's It's important. And, and I'm not saying if you're sick to come to church. If you got kids and you're sick, please stay home. I got four kids. I don't need the flu. Right? Just, but you know what? This is a priority. Worshiping with the body matters. It does. And if you're here one out of four weeks, what does that say about your worship? And I know the oxygen addition. Some of you have to work. But I'm, I'm just saying, if I don't see you for five weeks, I know where you're at spiritually. I don't have to ask. I just know, because this is important. It matters to, to us. It's, there's something powerful that God moves in the context of corporate worship. And maybe some of us need a reset and a reevaluate in the new year. What, you know what? The fish will be biting at 3 o'clock, too. And if they're not, I was worshiping with my brothers and sisters. And he's like, well, I just don't like people. It's so crowded. You don't like people? You ain't going to like heaven. 
All right, just telling you. Just, just, I'm just saying. Because when everyone's like, we're going to the New Jerusalem to worship the Lamb. You want to go? You know, no. I'm kind of hang out here in my apartment. Watch Angel Broadcasting Network. No, you're going to be like, yeah, let's go. It's going to be crowded. Millions and millions of people gathered around the throne. That, that's it. This is a taste of that. Would you rather it be empty? Would you rather be, having, be at a layout? No. This is what we want. It's important. It needs to be in your life. Here's another observation. There's certain elements in their worship that need to be in ours, right? That, that need to be. There's teaching, clearly, right? Because we got teachers and prophets. We have guys who have direct revelation from God. This is what you need to hear. We got guys who take the text and explain it. They don't know, we don't know how much, probably the only book, if they had any of the New Testament at this point, was the book of James. This is early on. So they have the teachings of Christ. They have the Old Testament. But there's teaching. We need to teach. There's prayers. They're praying and laying hands on. And, and don't think that they had some fancy, fancy, schmancy prayers. They're just praying like Jesus taught them. There's adoration. There's confession. There's petition. Right? There's praise and there's thanksgiving. There's no THs on every word. Thou, thee, thou, do. Just praying, talking to God. There's fasting. Say, That's very Old Testament. No, it's New Testament. Jesus said, when, my, when I go away, when the bridegroom is gone, my disciples will fast. And the idea is that there's a more of a hunger for God, and so I'm going I'm to meet my spiritual need and just spend time with him and hunger for him, then I'm going to deny myself a little bit. And it's always linked with prayer. They're doing that. In this text, we don't see it, but we know they were celebrating the table, because Acts 2 says they were. And, and you know, they were singing. You say, where do you see that? Well, I see Jesus singing. They sang a hymn. The biggest book in the Bible is a hymn book. Paul later says to, to talk to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The early church was a singing church. And look, I stood in the back last service. I saw y'all. Some of y'all ain't singing. I'm just saying. If you rejoice more at your kid's soccer game than when we worship Jesus, then you have a worship problem. I'm just telling you. So, oh, you know, I just don't have much room for praising. Then your heart's not ready for heaven because what do you think we're going to be doing? There are no sermons in heaven. I mean, what are you, what is God going to get up and say, let me tell you how to repent? Oh, wait, there's no repentance of sin. There's just praise and joy and celebration forever and ever. You can't celebrate for a little bit. Your heart's not ready. Right? It's important. And there's elements of these things. And here's why. The goal is this. To, it's to inform the mind and inflame the heart so that we worship in spirit and in truth. And you think, well, you know, you got those on this side who are like, just give me the truth, Bill. We don't need to sing any songs. Just preach the word and let us go. I just want the facts. I got to take my notes. I want the truth, truth, truth. Emotions are dangerous. You know, we don't need those things. We can't rely on those. That's, that's one side. And you got the other side. It's like, we don't need truth. We just need love. And let's just sing and hold hands and do Christian yoga and do the praying mantis together and, you know, whatever. And you got both sides. But the reality is you need both because you inform the mind, which then inflames the heart in worship. 
And they're not an opposite size of each other. They actually feed one another. So the teaching and the table remind us and teach us so that our minds are informed. And then we respond in singing and we respond in fasting and praying. And it's a cycle. And if you walk out and your mind has been informed and your heart has not been inflamed, then you've missed the point. I don't care how many notes you took. Because it's love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind. It's not just your mind, and it's not just your heart. And so maybe for some of us, we need to hit reset with our worship philosophy so that when we go to the table, it's not a tack on, it's not something we do just to feel good, it's a time to remember. When we go to the sermon, it, look, I get that most of our sermons at best are B pluses. I get it. You can go online and listen to a lot better sermons than this. Trust me, I do. And I'm like, man, we stink. But you know what? It's not about evaluating sermons. It's about hearing from God. And when we sing, sing like you mean it. Respond like you mean it. Right? That, that's the idea as we hit reset. There's elements of our worship. And here's the third thing, is that we worship the Lord Jesus. Who were they worshiping? It says they were worshiping the Lord. And when you see this word Lord, kurios in the Greek in the New Testament, nine out of 10 times it's a reference to Jesus. Now we are Trinitarian. We believe in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three distinct persons. But there is an element where we worship the person of Christ and what he has done. And we need to be reminded, look y'all, I know it's sometimes hard to think about this, but he is a real person sitting on a real throne right now, knowing your heart, knowing your mind. He knows everything. He is watching you, us. And when you pray and sing and listen to his word, he knows and he is li- you're responding to him. It's, this is not some pie in the sky. Woo! It's real. And one day you'll see him. And the amazing thing is some of these guys, they did see him. They sat there, ate food with him, saw his hands. They saw him on earth just like we will. So when you worship Christ, don't think of it some woo off. It's a real person, the God-man who loves you and came and gave himself for you. There's a Christ-centeredness. We exalt him. We exalt his work and what he has done. And any other God is a fraud. It's a fraud. Sometimes people bring food to the church because they think we're all too skinny, I guess, and so they try to get us unhealthy into heaven quicker. So they put cookies and donuts and everything upstairs. It's always right outside my office, which I appreciate. And so two weeks ago, I think it was right before Christmas, I looked down and there's cookies. Love cookies. Chocolate chip cookies. God's gift to man. And I go to grab this cookie and I look at it and I worship it for a minute. (laughs) And I take a bite. And then in disgust, I spit it out and I realize this is a raisin cookie. What kind of wicked person puts raisins in a cookie and makes them look like chocolate chips? That's the fall. That's sin. And so I spit it out in disgust, realizing I had been tricked. That's 
the gods of this world. They look like the beauty of a chocolate chip. When you taste them, it's just a raisin. <laughs> it's emptiness. <laughs> but we laugh. But what are the gods of our culture? Money, comfort, new stuff, right? Which is fine. God gives good things. That building, we're going to be in that thing in four months. It's going to be new for a week. And guess what? In a year, there's going to be a broken toilet here and there. In 50 years, it's going to be a relic. In 150 years, it'll be tore down. Just, just, it's not going to be new. It's a bad God. Relationships, sex, another big God in our culture. Ladies, there's no man who will complete you, despite what Tom Cruise says. There's no man that will meet all your needs. You need a savior. Men, there's no woman that will meet every need and do everything you think that you need. Right? You need a savior. You need a savior. It's a bad God. How about accomplishment and success? Right? As high as you get, someone will be always higher. As much money as you make, someone will always have a little bit more. The same person who affirms you and compliments you in two weeks is going to come behind your back and stab you. It's a bad God. It's a raisin cookie. You need a savior. And the reason some of us swing from delight at one moment to despair in, the other, in another is that you rejoice wrongly. You elevate the wrong thing too high. And instead of worshiping God in those things, you worship those things. And it's a raisin cookie. That's what it is. And so instead of pursuing riches, recognize in the gospel you have been made an heir to the kingdom of heaven. You are, you, you are already comforted by the God of all comfort. Instead of pursuing other relationships, physical, whatever, realize that you have a God who loves you even when you are a scumbag. And you are sometimes. Instead of, instead of affirmation and, and, oh my goodness, I need 20 likes and no one likes my picture on Instagram and, oh, did they only like it because I like theirs and, oh, they... Instead of worrying about that, recognize that what more affirmation do you need than the cross of Jesus Christ where he demonstrates his love for you? You don't need to wonder if he likes you. He's loved you, Right? And so what we want to do is worship Christ in those little areas where, where in, our, in our jobs, there's a work ethic that shows that we're a worshiper of Christ. In our school, there's integrity that shows we're a worshiper of Christ. In our relationships, there's joy that shows that we are a worshiper of Christ. The way we treat the cashier and the, and the waitress and, and, and the person that's waiting on us over here and serving us over here, the way we treat them, it shows that we're a worshiper of Christ together. Minds and hearts inflamed, worshiping Christ. That's worship. And God moves in it. This next thing. There is great diversity in their worship and in their personalities. I mean, look at all the guys you got here. You got Barnabas. Now, Barnabas, remember him? His name, his real name is Joseph. He's from Cyprus. He's an island boy. He likes the beach. He's a surfer. He's got long hair and doesn't wear a shirt. All right? Then you got Simeon, who was called Niger. He's called Niger, most commentaries think, because his skin was dark. He was from northern Africa, right? You have Lucius of Cyrene. 
Here's another northern African. Manaean, a member of the court of Herod, or some translations say a lifelong friend. Here's a guy who grew up with the guy who killed John the Baptist. He's a buddy, or he was a buddy, with the guy who killed John the Baptist. Talk about a background. He had some issues, I'm sure, at some point in his life. And then you got Saul of Tarsus, Mr. Religion, Mr. City Boy. I mean, you got all these areas. Tarsus is in here. Here's Island Boy Barnabas, Surfer Man. Here's the Cyrene. Here's, here's the guy from Northern Africa. I mean, you got just a, an eclectic group here. And I'm sure when they came to church, people were like, oh, who's preaching this Sunday? It's Paul. Man, I don't understand a word Paul says. Anybody else? I like Barnabas better. Well, I like Paul. He's, he's, he's proper. He stands behind the pulpit. That Manaean guy is always telling jokes. He's funny. I don't like funny guys. Well, yeah, well, I like this. I'm sure there was a little bit of that in there. Who's leading worship Sunday? The guy from Northern Africa. He uses the drums every time. <laughs> Can't stand the drums. Give me the harp. I'm sure there was a little bit of that going on. But you know what? The beauty of the church is it is diverse. And what is it that it unites us? Is it what school, what language, what race, what income, what political party, what nationality, what job? Is that what links us together? No, it's that we were saved by Jesus Christ. And only in the church can God take people who are natural enemies and make them brothers and sisters. And so what we need to remember as we worship, as we gather, is diversity is good. And here's what that means practically, that clickiness has no place at CBC. It just doesn't. And I know you know this group of people better, and that's fine. But when you are looking at other people and you're kind of like, well, that's their group and this is my group. No, no, no. The bigger we get, the harder we have to work at this, y'all. Let me challenge some of you college, high school, middle school students. Look, I know you go to this school or you go to no school and it's easier to hang out with those people when you come together. You need to get out of your comfort zone and you see that little person sitting on the other side that you don't know and you need to go bring them into your group, high school student. Guys, I asked Talavo, you're the worst. All right, I thought the girls would be the worst. It's the high school boys. You need to stop being so clicky. Middle schoolers, that new student is in the class. Classes are starting next week, y'all. Back up. Middle school, the new kid comes in. You think that kid's going to come back? if His parents say, hey, how was middle school class? No one talked to me. And it's on you, middle schoolers. It's on you. College folks, a new college kid shows up on Thursday night, and you're just hanging out over here, and there's this poor gal over there, and she doesn't know anybody. Is she going to come back to CBC? Somebody gets greeted or doesn't get greeted, and you see people just kind of standing there, like there's no room for clickiness. There's no room for elitism. I don't care what church over there does this. They use the organ. They don't use drums. They're this. They're Calvinist. Who cares? Unity, not uniformity. We need a good this kind of church over there. We need a good church that uses the organ down there because they're going to reach a different flock of people than we're going to. It's about oneness in the gospel. And there is no room for elitism or clickyism. If that church over there is growing, awesome. Because I'm praying that it would. Okay, that's what we want. It's important. Diversity in the church. Next observation. It is a spirit-filled worship. And I'm not talking chaos. I'm not talking running up and down the aisles and falling over and getting you know, beat up. That's my house. 
All right, we're talking about the spirit moves and feels comfortable to move in the context of this worship. And here's what we need as we hit the reset. That you come expecting God to speak. Just be really honest this morning. How many of us on the way to church, when we woke up, really expected to hear from God today? I mean, you were like, I'm going to hear from the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit. I mean, how many of us come with an expectancy that God will move? How many of us go to his word? How many of us pray in that way? And if not, then why should he show up? Because you're just showing up, so why should he? What we want to be in 2015 is a group of people who gather with a hunger for God, the Holy Spirit, to show up. Because if he doesn't show up, we might as well go home. If he doesn't move, look, if you think, oh, I, God, God spoke to me during, it wasn't me, I can tell you, it was the Spirit. I'm just an empty shell. If God doesn't show up, if the Holy Spirit doesn't move, then nothing happens. There is no fruit. We need him. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Not when Bill Fowler, not when CBC, not when Ethan and his worship team show up. When the Spirit shows up. So you need to pray and ask that God the Holy Spirit would show up and move and change us. Right? It's huge. It's huge. Next one. Is there is a community aspect to the worship. There's a togetherness here. Again, it's they, it's they're laying hands on, they're identifying that Paul has been called. I mean, it says they they fast, they pray, they laid their hands on them and set them off. Paul doesn't just do this individually. They confirm it. They say, yep, God is moving. You and Barnabas, out, go. There is relationships. They know each other. Some of you still are here. You don't know anybody, and you're mad at me. or some of, And then we have a staff that's working hard to get people assimilated, and we don't have enough community groups because we need more leaders. And we need, I get that. But some of you are still in and out, and you don't care. And you have a big hole in your worship. It is community Bible church. Not Bible church. Not BC. CBC. And it is purposeful that we want you to be engaged with other people somehow. I get time is an issue. I get the struggle. But look, we have been called to give our lives away. Not because we need to be, oh, we need to serve in the nursery, and that's just kind of like boot camp for the church and get plugged in. That's not what we're talking about. We serve and give ourselves. Why? Because we're gospel-fueled, because that's what Jesus did. He, he gets down, and he strips down, and he washes the nasty feet of the disciples. And you say, well, that's not so bad. I had a mani-pedi last week. My feet aren't so bad. You've got to understand the closest equivalent will be Jesus coming to your house and washing the, washing the toilet of your teenager that hadn't been clean in a week. That's the equivalent. Nasty. Teenage boy, blind when he goes to the restroom or something. I don't know. <laughs> and you ask Jesus to clean that, that is the equivalent. And after he's done, he says, do you understand what I've done to you? Now you go and do it. So it's not guiltiness to serve in the churches. I get to serve because the gospel motivates me and drives me to serve other people to know them. And so when, when their mom dies, I am there with a casserole loving on them and hugging and crying with them. And when they're wrestling with this decision and they need, they need some advice, I'm there and I'm engaged. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in their life. And when they're wandering and I don't see them for four weeks, I'm calling them every day to find out where they're at. 
because I'm giving my. Is it messy? Is it hard? Yes and yes. So was the gospel. And some of you, it's time to reset and say, I'm going to get serious about, you're going to, you go to the Start Here class, you join the church, and you get committed on a different level, right? Time to reset. And there's one more thing here. Last observation about their worship is there is obedience. He says, Saul, you and Barnabas, out. I'm calling you to something different. And the church is not like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's our dude. That's our main preacher guy. He's the Bible writer guy. You can't take him. And Barnabas, he's the only nice guy we got around here. You can't take the encourager. Our best teacher, our best encourager, you're going to take him? They lay hands and they send him off. There's immediate obedience. Huge. Don't miss this. Your obedience is an issue of worship. It is a worship issue. God says, go, you go. And look, this is not a guilt everyone into going. Look, most people stay. Most of the teaching team stayed. There's mobilizers, there's senders, and then there's those who go. And we send out people all the time. We've lost two deacons in the last month. Tom and Sue, gone. God sent them up to Louisville. Ricky Weeks, you probably don't even know Ricky. He's been serving as a deacon faithfully behind the scenes for years. He's been here since the beginning. God's taken them to Jacksonville, gone. We've lost people on staff. Peter of Connecticut, Sarah went to work for a ministry in town. God sent them. Losing one of our great middle school teachers was an intern here. He's going to seminary. Losing one of our great singers, she's going to Poland. Losing people all the time. Sending them out. Because there's obedience. God calls, you do it. God's called most of us to stay. You need to understand, don't elevate senders, I mean, goers more than senders. We need great Christian lawyers. We need great Christian school teachers. We need people who love Jesus who are installing carpet and fixing toilets and serving tables and doing all these things. We need that. But what we really need is Christians who are serious about obedience. If you call him Lord and he is who he says he is, then he calls the shots. And that is an issue of worship. And for some of us in 2015, it might be time to start reevaluating the, the issues in the life. If you're in that relationship and you know it's bad, you're 16 year old, you think you know it all, and your parents keep telling you this is not good, spending too much time with him, you, you need to listen to your parents. You need to listen to your roommates if they're like, this is a bad dude. I'm telling you. You need to cut, cut this off. You're going into more and more consumer debt, and you're just kind of new credit card, maxing out new. Right? Maybe you're a gossiper or a grumbler and a complainer. Maybe you're abusing your freedoms, and you're out drinking too late into the night. I'm free in Christ. You're not free to get buzzed and drunk. No, you're not. Right? And so these, maybe it's time to hit the reset and reevaluate. And, and look, it can be overwhelming at times. You're like, oh, my man, my life is a mess. Just pick one thing to start. What's that big issue? What's that thing that keeps coming up? That big struggle. Like, well, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. Then it's called pride. That's your big struggle. Cause you, right? And if you really don't know, ask your, ask your wife, ask your parents, ask your roommate. 
And just start praying through that. God, show me, give me victory. Reading scripture about that. Start changing this. And then start changing this. This is the kind of things that God moves in. Time to hit the reset. Obedience matters. They obey. They follow. Look, we want great things to happen for the name of Christ in our lives, in our hearts especially. Even if 2015 is challenging, and it will be physically challenging for some of y'all. Some of you are going to lose your job. You're going to lose folks in your life. It's going to be hardship. But we want God to move in us and do something great for his name's sake. Where does it start? Worship. Together. Hearts inflamed, minds informed, the one true God, Jesus Christ, as a diverse group of people filled by the Holy Spirit, loving each other in community and obeying his word. Starts with worship. And so let's together hit reset this morning. And let's worship. And we're going to celebrate the table. Praise team, you guys can come back up because I know we're time short. I want you guys to have as much time. We're going to celebrate the table. The men are going to pass out the elements. Just hold them there. The praise team is going to sing a song. You can sing with them. You can spend some time in prayer and reflection and confession. You can just sit silently and remember. Don't waste it. Remember your need in the gospel, that Christ died for sinners. He died for you to make you new and that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And then we'll stand after we celebrate together. I'll come back up. We celebrate and then we'll sing and we'll be rejoicers as God has created us. Let me pray. Father God, move through your people for your name's sake. As we celebrate, as we rejoice, as we remember, Father, inflame our hearts and let us respond in a way that is pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray.